Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to Greater Alton Church. My name's Tim, and it's good to have you with us again this morning. Uh, we're uh, still in this series called A New Normal. Last week, I spent some time in Bone Gap, Illinois. Um, I decided to go by the old farm that I grew up on, uh, on our way there. And uh, the place was sold 40-some uh, years ago after my mother and father divorced. Most of the buildings are all gone. Uh, all that's standing is the house and uh, a detached garage and the old well house. And I couldn't help but look around and I noticed that things have changed so much. Uh, the mailbox, the same mailbox is there and you could see my dad's name on the side of that mailbox. And uh, as we looked at it and I took some pictures with my grandkids in front, I couldn't help but realize the landscape, the contour of the land seemed to stay the same but everything else over time changed. Um, and that's what happens when time passes, when life passes by. We experience a series of changes uh, from, uh, whether it's from technology or from an event or a breakthrough or maybe a personal experience or as simple as a choice. These things shake our lives up and um, so what we end up doing is we start making adjustments. We start living uh, a little differently each time. It's like having another, uh, another life, a new normal. Trusting God leads to a, a series of transitions, and they, and, they, and they seem to always go this way, from something old to something new. Here's a passage we've been using in this series in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And again, if you'd like to follow along in this lesson, we do have some notes available at greateraltonchurch.org. And look what the Bible says here. It says, whoever is a believer in Christ is a new creation. The old way of living has disappeared. A new way of living has come into existence. You see, when you follow Christ, God closes and opens new chapters in your life. There's lots of changes ahead, and they're great changes. God is for that. He wants us to experience something new, this new life. And one of the things that this new life is going to do, it's going to not only change our habits and maybe our values and set us in a new direction, it's going to change our perception of others too. And you look at the verses here, this verse here, I want you to read with me the verses before and we'll see more of the context here in 1 Corinthians and see if you notice what uh, we're talking about today. It says, Clearly, Christ's love guides us. We are convinced of the fact that one man has died for all people. Therefore, all people have died. He died for all people, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the man who died and was brought back to life for them. In other words, for all people. So from now on, there it is, that new normal. From now on, we don't think of anyone from a human point of view. It changes our perspective is what he's saying. He says we used to think Christ that way. And then he goes on to say whoever's a believer in Christ is a new creation. The old way of living has disappeared. A new way of living has come into existence. You see, changing how we see other people is at the heart of the gospel. And over and over again, when you read the scriptures, especially the New Testament, you notice that God is reminding us that this new way of life involves a new way to look at others. 
Now, why is that so important? Why does he talk about it in the, to the church in Ephesus, the church at Colossae, the church at Corinth? He mentions it to the church in Rome. Why does he talk about how we should see people differently? Why does this gospel do that? Well, it's because mankind has always struggled with prejudice. It's all bigotry and prejudice and racism is not unique to America. It's all over the world. It's been here since Cain and Abel. Every culture practices some various form of profiling. And I don't know how you wrap your mind around this. I, we're not born to judge like this. This is something we learn over time. You look at any toddler and they, they, they have this innocence when they look at others. They don't see so much difference, but give it time and they learn like we've learned quickly about differences to even look for it. They learn as we have learned to compare and compete and evaluate each other and life through appearance. How many times have you said to your child or you remember these days, stranger danger? It's not bad. It's a, that, that, I understand that. We understand that. But we're taught early is what I'm simply saying. We're taught very early in life to notice differences. We see things, we notice differences in gender, in age, what we own, the houses we live in, the cars we drive, even the clothes we wear. We, we set up distinctions in, our, in, our, in athletics. There are Cub fans. There are Cardinal fans. We even set up distinction with our bodies. We notice differences. Tall people, short people, skinny people, fat people, black people, white people, rich people, poor people. We, we, look, we are, you can't get away from it. We notice everything. We're, we're taught to see everything. And it's unfortunate that uh, this misapplied discrimination divides and polarizes us as a people. Now, Jesus came to, to change all that. Look what he says here in John 7, 24. Do not judge by mere appearances, but judge with right judgment. He says, don't look at the outside. Uh, I think in uh, the book of Samuel, David uh, is being selected as king, and Samuel's trying to figure out which of the sons of Jesse are going to be selected. And he's asking you know, God, how do I know? And he goes, well, first, don't be fooled or don't look at the outward appearance of a person. God doesn't look at those. He looks at the heart. And so we're to judge. If we're going to have distinction and judge, we have to judge deeper than the skin or the age or the gender of somebody or the appearance of someone. There's a passage here in Colossians. It's very challenging. It's written to the church. And, and if you're a Christian, you're a believer, you, we should pay attention to it. Look how it connects this new life to how we perceive people. It says, you have begun to live the new life in which you're now being made new and becoming like the one who made you. This new life brings you the true knowledge of God. In the new life, there's no difference between Gentiles and Jews those who are circumcised and those who are not circumcised, or people who are foreigners 
or Scythians. There's no difference between slaves and free people. But Christ is in all believers, and Christ is all that is important. Now you look at this list, and I, never, I want you to know, this is interesting that we talk about this new life, new creation all the time. Isn't it interesting that it relates to how we perceive people too? The way we see each other? And he gives this list. He says there's no difference in this new life. We learn. We unlearn some things and we learn some new things. And he says this new thing you're learning is there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. That's race right there. There's no difference between those circumcised or uncircumcised. And then he talks about foreigners and Scythians. And I know some of you Star Wars fans are going, Sith? Are we talking about Star Wars? No, no. Maybe that's where they got the idea. But the, on one word for foreigner, another word is barbarian. And so you have a foreigner or someone that's barbaric or different. He's foreign. And then you have the Scythian. What's the distinction there? Because you see opposites here. And as you read and discuss this and as you research it, you find out that's, that some of this, some people believe the foreigner is referring to someone who's black and a Scythian is referring to someone who's white. Or it's referring to somebody who's barbaric as in the sense of they're different, they speak different, they act different, they have a different culture. And then you have this group of people that are just worse than that. They're just, they have no connection. They're ruthless, they're rude, they're crude. One guy says that Scythians could be referring to people that are European, uh, Russian or German, uh, Red-headed is another reference to a Scythian. thought that was interesting. And notice the Bible says in this new life, there's just no difference here. This morning, I think we, let's just talk about the elephant in the room here for a second. The world has made racism difficult and complicated. You've got to admit, it's tough to talk about. People have made it emotional. They've made it, they've made it emotional, social, and political minefield where it's very difficult to talk about this. Ellen DeGeneres recently, in responding to George Floyd's murder, said these words. She said, I don't know what to say. I'm so sad and I'm so angry. And I know I'm not going to say the right thing. You ever felt like that? Have you been feeling like that? You try posting something, you try saying something, you try share something, and it just it offends somebody. It's difficult. It's a, it's a minefield is what it is, a social minefield that we're talking about here. But listen to me, we have to speak up about this. We can't be silent about this as God's people. We can't take a neutral or middle ground here. We have to do something about this because it's tearing our world apart. And see, as believers, as believers in Christ, we are here to change things. You are here to change things. We're compared to salt and light. We're here to defy the worldly point of view when it comes to other people and promote the heavenly view of everyone. It's looking at people a new way. It's looking at everyone God's way. How do we do that? What can I do as a Christian to promote God's view? Well, let's go through some four, four steps here. Number one, I acknowledge that every form of prejudice is sinful. 
I've got to acknowledge that. See, most people associate prejudice to hatred. You know, yelling, screaming, hurting, harming, violence. But there are other ways you can, be, you can express prejudice. You can stereotype people. In other words, you could just assume. I was talking to Alan just a second ago, and he was telling me, you know, prejudice is from prejudging, and it's, that's true. I'm reminded of that. We assume, we stereotype, we put people in a certain category based on appearance. We assume old people are senile, don't know what, they can't take care of themselves. We assume little kids don't know what they're talking about. We assume a black or a white are going to feel a certain way or, or do certain things. The Bible says that that's wrong. You may not hate people that are different than you, but you might stereotype people. I want to recommend a movie. I'm not recommending the dialogue sometimes in this movie. It's pretty rough, but it's the movie Crash. And I'd challenge you to watch it sometime because you see racism. You see different people colliding with one another and dealing with assuming the other what the other's about, and they're totally wrong, and sometimes they're right. That's one thing. I can stereotype. I can categorize or pigeonhole people. You know, I hear people say things like, well, you know, I, I've worked with certain kinds of people before and they act this way. Well, you know, you got somebody else that says the opposite. No, it's, you, you, gotta, you have to be careful with this, see. Another way I can, I can express uh, prejudice is I just, I'm uncomfortable and so I avoid people that are different than me. I just stay out of their way. Another way is I can be insensitive. I can just not care and I can crack a joke or use a term and not think think anything of it. I tell you what, I've, I've, I've been, been a part of that where I, I, I didn't even realize how insensitive it was to someone who was hearing it. Wasn't even thinking about that. And that is a form of prejudice. And of course, another way you can, you can express prejudiceness is simply by not caring. I don't care. I'm not getting involved. I'm not going to do anything about it. I want you to know this morning that God and the Bible condemn bigotry and prejudice and what the Bible would call favoritism or partiality. Let's look at some verses together. It says here in Proverbs 28, 21, prejudice is wrong. Prejudice is wrong. It says in James 2, when you show prejudice, you commit sin. Here in Galatians 5, I mean, Galatians 5, verse 19, it's the list of the, of the sinful nature, the sins of the world, and it's got things like sexual immorality, idolatry, witchcraft, and well, yeah, right. And, but if you read on, look what else it lists as part of our sinful nature. But when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce these evil results. Hostility. You ask yourself in the last several weeks, if you've seen any of this, hostility, quarreling, and jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, the feeling that everyone else is wrong except those in your own little group. And he goes on to say, I warn you and I tell you as I've done before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's pretty stern pretty clear. 
And see, I've got to acknowledge that every form of prejudice is sinful. If I want to address it in my life, in my world, it starts there. Look at the, Why is that so important? The Bible says in Romans 2, verse 11, that God shows no partiality. That's how God feels. In fact, He feels so strongly about this. Racism is one of the primary sins Jesus died to, to eliminate. Look what it says here um, in this passage. It says here, Our reconciling peace is Jesus. He has made Jew and non-Jew one in Christ by dying as our sacrifice. He has broken down every wall of prejudice and separated us and has now made us equal through our union with Christ. Jesus died to abolish prejudice, bigotry, partiality, favoritism, racism. That's how important it is to Him. That's how important it is that He wants to abolish it. Here's the second thing. To look at everyone God's way, number two, I focus on what I have in common with everyone. <laughs> you know, you, have, you and I have a lot more in common with each other than we realize. I mean, like what, Tim? What do we have in common with everyone? Well, let me give you a list here. Number one, everyone is made by God. Everyone. They're made by God and, and for God and in God's image. Look what it says here in, in Acts 17. For one man, Adam, had made every man and woman and every race of humanity. And notice it says, and he spread us all over the earth. He said, from one guy. It's been scientifically proven we've come from one person. We've come from one set of parents, from one mom, one dad. I don't know if you've ever done this in Ancestry.com where you uh, send in your DNA and they tell you, you know, all the different parts of your blood tells you what part of you're this, a part of you're that. And some people have a list. <laughs> they have a list of they're partially this, partially that, European, whatever. They, they get that information. Well, the Bible says before Ancestry.com, everybody's come from the same source. We share the same beginning. Even though we may come from different places and we may have different tastes and we, and we live at different times and we have different customs and we have different cultures, we all are of the same race, the human race. We all have a little Adam in us. And see, that's why racism is so wrong. Because we're rejecting the wisdom of God who made us all. We just flat out reject His wisdom. We reject His, his likes and dislikes. His will. He made us different. I used to say this. I used to say, you know, when I see people, I'm colorblind. I don't say it anymore. You know why? Because it wasn't true. I saw color. You see color. You can't, you can't ignore color. God made everything different. Made colors. He made... He makes the sky, you know, the sunsets, the sunrises, all these different colors. He makes people different colors too. He likes different colors. If he didn't like color, everything would be gray or everything would be one color. But no, he's, it's a host of various colors. He celebrates that. He loves variety. He believes variety is a good thing. He believes different can be very good for us. 
And so we just understand, first of all, I share that in common. We all have uh, the same source. We're all made in the image of God. And the second thing is, I have in common is everyone's a sinner. You know, the Bible says if you deny it, you're lying. Everybody sins. Everybody messes up. It says here in Ecclesiastes 7, there's no one on earth who does what is right all the time and never makes a mistake. You ever made a mistake? Guess what? Everybody else has to join the club. We all sin. We all mess up. Romans 3 says, no one in all the world is innocent. I heard someone say it this way. Whether you're in first class or third class, if you're on the Titanic, you're all going down together. I heard somebody uh, one time, Marvin Phillips, say this. If we were to confess our sins to each other, we would laugh at ourselves for our lack of originality. See, we all mess up. We all sin. In Romans 14, Paul reminds us of this, reminds us of, of our sinfulness that we have in common when we're looking at each other. He says, so why do you judge your brother in Christ? And why do you think that you're better than he is? We all, we will all stand before God and he will judge us all. You see, I'm not better than anyone. You're not better than anyone. We are broken like everyone. Broken by sin. We have that in common. But praise God, we have something else in common. That everyone needs Jesus. That's the third thing. Everybody needs Jesus. I need Jesus as bad as you, and you need Jesus as bad as I do. It says here in Romans 3, Everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And notice it says, And all need to be made right with God by His grace, which is a free gift. They, he means all people, now everyone, need to be made free from sin, through Jesus Christ. You see, we can't be made right without Jesus. Without God's grace, we can't make it. And we have that in common. We're all doomed without Jesus. You need to remember that. And there's a fourth one that we share. Everyone is saved by God's grace. God loves everybody. And we're all saved by that incredible, amazing grace. Titus 2, what an interesting translation. The New Jerusalem Bible says it this way. God has revealed His grace to save the whole human race. He loves everybody. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everyone to be saved. 1 Corinthians 4 says it this way, Who says you're better than others? What do you have that was not given to you? And if it was given to you, why do you brag as if you did not receive it as a gift? You know, Jesus, is, His grace is a gift. You know, I got to thinking, what have I got to brag about as a Christian? If I boast, it's boast the grace of God. I mean, if, if I think about, think about what I did to become a Christian, all I did was agree that Jesus is Lord. I, I didn't die for my sins. He died for my sins. I didn't baptize myself in water. Somebody took me and held me underwater for a little while. Where's the, where's the bragging rights there? I have no bragging rights. You have no bragging rights. Well, I've been going to church ever since I was a kid. Yeah, you need it that bad, see? That's what that, all that proves. I, I've been going to church since I was a kid. I need it that bad too. What's it prove? It doesn't prove you're better than anybody. No, it proves God's the best. His grace is the best. And without Him, what do we got? It's a gift. It's a gift. If I'm going to brag about something, I'm going to brag about the gift giver, Jesus Christ.
That's what I have in common. I need to remember that when I look at others. Here's number three. I treat everyone with respect. You know, when I watch Jesus with people, I'm just in awe of him, humbled by him. You know, Jesus was never after punishment. He was after justice. Now, I want to say something about that. A lot of people are confused about what justice is. I hear a lot of people saying we want justice. I mean, Jesus wanted justice. You know, what, you know how he expressed it? He wanted what was fair. And he was always fair with people. He, would, he, he was so kind. He listens and responds with kindness. And that's because he values the dignity of others. He respects where they are. You can't get anyone from point A to point B unless you at least accept where they are and respect where they are. And Jesus was always about that. Here's Peter, who saw Jesus firsthand, wrote these words, show respect to all people. Why? How could he say that? You need to show respect to all people because I saw how it was done through Jesus. And you see that over and over again. And I want to say to you, when you treat others, when you choose to treat others with respect, it's the greatest choice, the most positive choice, the most awesome choice you can make. You'll build more bridges and less walls with that approach. You actually make and, and create opportunities for change. What does respect really look like? Let me read you a passage I think that really really describes respect when we're talking about respecting other people. Paul said these words, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of others. Hmm. Do nothing, he says, out of selfish ambition. It's one thing to be ambitious and have this desire it's nothing to have be selfish with this desire. And he, then he, so it's, it can't be about me. And then he, said, he goes on and goes, I want you to, don't, not only selfish desire, but vain conceit. Do nothing out of vain. What's vain conceit about? It's about this pride. This pride of myself. It's this attitude that says I'm better than other people based on my, my, my ethnic background. When you really stop and look at this vain conceit, it's talking about that. And see, all of heaven, if heaven had a chant, if, they could, if you could listen to heaven right now, they would be saying things like this. What do we want? Humility. When do we want it? Now. We need humility now. You see, humility sees the value in people that are different. When, you, when you're humble, you're more understanding, you're not so demanding. You treat people kindly and with respect. See, dig, give, people, treating people with dignity and respect is, is recognizing, again, it's recognizing where they're coming from. I, I'm calm enough and rational enough and civil enough to discuss something and listen and try to understand that other side. 
it's understanding that we're all in a process of growing and changing. Like we've read before, that this new life is becoming more and more like Christ. And we respect where someone is. We know we're at a different place. They're at a different place, but we're on in the same process. And so we're patient with each other. We try to understand each other. We, 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 we seek to discuss our differences without looking for gotcha moments, but looking for a way to build unity. I want to ask you this week to be courageous enough and faithful enough to have a discussion with someone who's different than you and try to understand where they're coming from. I've had those. I had a discussion with Jay a couple of weeks ago. I just asked him, I need help. I need help understanding what's going on here. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I want to be, I want to be like Christ. You know, he said, he goes, I really appreciate your phone call, Tim. And I listened and learned from somebody who understood racism better than I do. I just listened, trying to understand, trying to get my mind around it as to what I could do. And then he challenged me, here's what you can do, Tim. And he gave me a list of things that I could do. And I want you to know, Jay, I've been doing those things. It, start, it, it, starts, it simply starts with saying, look, prejudice is wrong. Every form, I've got to see that. In my life, I've got to call that out. It, 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 it involves focusing on what I have in common with people. And it's treating others with respect. I listen to them. I'm open-minded. I don't get in a shouting match. I try to understand. I fight losing my temper so I can build a bridge. People that are angry don't accomplish much. They might get your attention, but they don't accomplish much. It's disciplined people. It's, it's having anger, but disciplining it in a way that creates, that creates change. Here's the fourth one. And that's I work to make God's family a home or a place for everyone. It's I, I, I work hard to make God's church, God's family, a place, a home, an oasis, a, place, a safe place for everyone. Look what the Bible says here in Revelation 7. This is a, this, John's having a dream. He's having a vision from God about the church. The church has been going through the ringer, and it's going to continue, it's going to, continue to go through the ringer. And so God gives John an idea and a vision of what's going to happen to the church, the ringer it's going to go through. And the church is, uh, it wasn't just Judaism that, that fought Christianity for a while. It was the Romans really came down hard on, on Christianity. Christians died by the thousands. By the thousands. And, so, and, the, and, and notice it says here in, Re, in Revelation 7, it says, John says, I looked up and there was a large crowd of people. There were so many people that no one could count them all. Listen to this. They were from every nation, tribe, race of people, and language on earth. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They all wore white robes and had palm branches in their hands. And they shouted. What did they shout? What were they shouting? They shouted, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb. You know what I notice here? I, I see God's church here is victorious and it has everybody. 
There's room for everybody. It's not segregated from certain people. But every, everyone who calls on Him says will be saved. Everyone who follows Him will be saved. Everyone who trusts Him, He will save. And it's from everywhere. Every walk of life. I want you to understand, the church, God's church, God's family is the hope of the world. God's family is here on earth to show the world how different people can live and work together in harmony. That's, that's its example. And again, look again. Here's the, uh, again a passage here in Colossians 3. God says to His, to his church, He says to you and I as believers, to His kingdom, Colossians 3, this is the living Bible. You are living a brand new kind of life that is continually learning more and more of what is right and trying constantly to be more and more like Christ who created this new life within you. In this new life, the one's nationality or race or education or social position is unimportant. Such things mean nothing. Whether a person has Christ is what matters. And He is equally available to all. What's He saying? He's telling you and I, our primary identity isn't coming from the color of our skin, but from our Savior. Our primary identity comes from God. I'm no longer, look, it's no longer about my group or your group. No, God's put us in one group. All of our differences all of our cultures. And He's brought us together as family, just like your family doesn't all look exactly the same. I know some of you have identical twins, but they don't even act the same. Right? They don't even act the same. I, looked at, I, had, I had five grandkids come over to my house yesterday. Talk about, it's, a, it's like herding cats. They're all different. God's family's different too. I love every one of them. Every one of them. And God our Father, He loves everyone, every believer, everyone He's made. And see, listen, listen to me. A place like this doesn't come with more laws. A place like this, an oasis, an outpost, whatever you want to call it, of the church, a family like this doesn't come from more laws, folks. It comes from more love. We love each other. We care about each other. And it takes people to invest their love in places like these if they're going to be a place for everyone. You want to control bigotry? You want to have something to do with con or confront it? You want to confront sexism? How about age discrimination? You want to deal with that? Give your energy, give your effort to make your church, and I say to you, all of you at Greater Alton, we make this place, and for those of you that aren't members here, you make God's place where you are, this place, this small part of heaven on earth, where people from every race, every tribe, every nation, can feel safe and secure and loved. That we can work together. That we don't compare and compete. No, instead we complement and complete each other. 
And it takes work, folks. It takes work to make a family as open as this to anyone. Look what it says here in Ephesians 4. I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. Conduct yourselves, and listen, listen to these traits, with all humility, gentleness, and patience, accept each other with love. And then he goes on to say this, and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You're one body and one Spirit just as called you, as God called you to one hope. I want to encourage you this week. I got some things I want you to do. If you have the courage and the faith to do, let me encourage you to do these things. This week, I want to ask you to improve your connection with other members of your church. COVID has spread us out. What's going on in America right now is going to polarize us. We need to reach out to each other. We need to connect with each other. Ask yourself, where is the wedge slowly being developing between someone? Who is that person? I, there's a wedge beginning to develop between us. I'm asking you to do something about that this week. Confront that. Deal with that. This week, I ask you to work to have a deeper understanding of racism. You can't be just curious. You can't be just curious. You, you really want to change. You really want to change things in your community, in your, your world. I'm asking you to have some other conversations with people that are different than you. Not just people of different races, but maybe of a different gender or a different age. And listen to how they feel when they're treated this certain way. We just got to understand one another. Ask yourself this, how do I, ask yourself this, and get serious about this, how am I expressing racism or partiality or favoritism in my relationships, my workplace? If you're going to look for racism, listen to me, some of you need to hear this, if you're going to look for racism, start with looking at yours. Look at it. Have the courage to look at that at least. Start with yourself. Have the humility to look at yourself. And then ask yourself, who could, I, who could I talk to? Who could use my love and my support right now? Because they're going through it. Their life matters enough to talk to them about it. And let me ask you this. Let me ask you to do something else. Not take one, but two steps. Two steps that you can take to make this place, God's place, more of a home for everyone that's free of partiality and favoritism. What can you do to make this church more loving? Listen, I, know, I don't know how everybody else is out there where you go to church, but at Greater Alton, it's a challenge here. We should be more loving. Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples if you love one another. The world will figure it out. The world will see their point of view doesn't work because it doesn't. That God's point of view will. But they've got to see it in action. They've got to see it practiced. And I'm asking you to take some bold steps to say, I'm going to ramp it up 
I'm going to ramp up my love. I'm going to ramp up God's love in my small group, in my church. Let's pray together. Okay? Father, our nation is desperate for healing. We're yelling at each other. We're fighting each other. Very few of us are listening. That's the worldly point of view, Father, and it's getting us nowhere. Oh God, open our eyes to what you see. Open our eyes to how you see other people. Father, we realize we cannot be silent. We cannot be still. So help us rise up and start building bridges and not walls. Give us the courage, Father, to initiate open and well-mannered dialogue to better understand one another. Oh God, we need you. We're lost without you. Help us see how much we have in common. Help us focus on that. Help us appreciate the things, the differences in, our, in ourselves, but appreciate them so much to know that, they, that these differences add, not subtract, from our church, from our life. Help us look at each other as one who is formed by your loving hands. Father, we know you're not colorblind. In fact, you made all the colors to enjoy, whether it's a sunrise or a beautiful canyon or another human being. You love variety, don't you? And you made it all and love it all. And help us love it the same. Help us unlearn the ideas and habits of that old worldly point of view that divide us and learn the values and conduct of this new way that will unite us. God, help us as believers work to make your family a place that draws all kinds of people to you so they can experience a new life together in peace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.